Hey, this is Sam Hales, presenter and producer of The Profile Podcast. If you have been listening to us for any length of time, you will know that we have been bringing you a brand new interview with a leading Christian every Friday afternoon. Well, I've got some great news for you today because from this week, you'll be getting not one, but two fantastic interviews every week. This is courtesy of my colleague Andy Peck. You know, for the last 17 years, Andy has been meeting and interviewing a whole host of Christian leaders. And I'm delighted to say that we're going to be bringing you some of the best of those conversations right here on the Profile Podcast. In these leadership special episodes, you'll be hearing from church leaders, business leaders, youth leaders, charity CEOs, preachers, TV presenters, Bible scholars and more. First up this week, we have the Christian author, speaker and bewildered founder of 24-7 Prayer, Pete Gregg. So without any further ado, let me pass you over to Premier's resident leadership expert interviewer, Andy Peck. Andy, over to you. You're listening to The Profile. Any leadership role has a chain of command. The person at the top of a company typically has a board of directors to answer to. A charity leader has a board of trustees and the church leader will be within a hierarchy of some kind, depending on the denomination or church stream they're part of. Clear direction is therefore paramount for wise leadership, even if the detail is to be worked out by the leader. But the Christian leader's actual chain of command goes up eventually to God himself, of course. And if this is not obvious in a company setting, certainly the Christian charity leader or church leader is acutely aware that they desire to hear God and implement his wishes. So what could be more important for a leader than hearing God clearly and what he's looking for? Well, you will know that getting clear direction is not always that easy. God seems to have a rather large inbox and doesn't reply nearly as quickly as we might like. So I'm joined this week by Pete Gregg, who has been investigating this whole question of how to hear God and provides the fruit of this in his book, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. The 24-7 Prayer Movement website describes him thus. Pete Gregg is a best-selling author, pastor, and bewildered instigator of the 24-7 Prayer Movement, which has reached more than half the nations on earth. He's also the senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, Guildford in England. So Pete grew up in the church in Reigate in Surrey, which I have attended since 2002, and where his brother is the organist. And so it's my particular delight to welcome him to the show. So Pete, great to have you along. Thank you. So good to be back with you and hear that little sneaky reference to St. Mary's Rygate. <laughs> good. So uh, perhaps you could just briefly outline the book for, for listeners who uh, will hear the title and wonder what it's about. Well, the, the book's called How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And it does what it says on the tin. This is a book to help intelligent um, but ordinary people to work out how on earth do we hear the voice of God without kissing our brains goodbye. And uh, as I've written it, what I've realized is this is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do without any exaggeration. Nothing matters more in any of our lives than learning to hear God. So, uh, and yet we get in such a mess with it. It's so dreadful the way that God's word and is often abused. And so I try and sort of navigate through this very important but very delicate um, 
issue that is at the heart of Christian faith. An obvious question, Pete, is wrote the book God on Mute in 2007 and now How to Hear God in 2022. So how do the books relate to one another, do you think? Yeah, good question. Well, in a way, Andy, they're the same thing. They're both about the God who speaks. The first one is about the fact that sometimes he doesn't when we want him to, or he doesn't in the way that we want him to. And I talk very honestly about my own deep struggles uh, with my wife, Sammy, nearly dying on multiple occasions and my prayers just not working. Um, and, and that book is, I mean, I've lost count of the number of people who say it saved their faith or it's brought them back to faith. So it's wonderful how the Lord's used the honesty in that message. Uh, but I don't see this in any way as a riposte to that, but rather an extension of that, because, of course, <laughs> you only struggle with unanswered prayer if you believe that God does answer prayer. You only struggle with the silence of God if you believe that God speaks. And so this is really the other side of the coin. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying to help people to work out how really to get the best out of the breadth of Christian insight. You know, the evangelicals uh, remind us wonderfully, hear God in the scriptures. That's central. That's foundational. And, and, and actually is increasingly quite radical because we have a whole generation coming through who'd rather have a feeling or an experience than do a Bible study. But I don't want to just stop there because the Bible itself teaches me that God also speaks through dreams and visions and the prophetic. One of the surprises I had as I got into this is how much God speaks through dreams, according to the Bible. It's extraordinary. And what I think we've done is allowed Freud and Jung to hijack dreams and say it's all just to do with the subconscious. But this is important for Christians. But, but I want the charismatic Pentecostal emphasis on you know, on dreams and visions and the prophetic. I want to hear God in those ways too. And then I also want the contemplative emphasis on the still small voice. How can I, to quote Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know God? How can I, like Elijah, learn to hear his whisper? So, uh, so, so that's the sort of, it's a big hug of a book really that takes the different Christian traditions and brings them together and either people are going to say this is lovely to have the full menu or they're, I'm going to get shot at from every side, Andy. Well, it, it's a splendidly put together book, I think, Pete. And I love the mix of, of the supernatural experience, uh, but also the puzzling times and the things, you know, being sharing how things didn't work out. You, you share uh, early on your connection with Jackie Pullinger, uh, who, yeah. of course, many will know served in Hong Kong. And, of course, there's a connection with St. Mary's, given that the, the curate that encouraged her to go to Hong Kong eventually came to, to, to St. Mary's as vicar. So perhaps you could share that insight for you, because you grew up in a Bible-believing, you hear God yeah. through the Scripture kind of church, didn't yeah. you? Oh, I'm so grateful to St. Mary's. But from when I was a tiny little boy, you know, my mum's Scottish, Andy. So she used to send us to St. Mary's in Sunday best, which was a kilt. I was, I was, <laughs> I was the only kid at, at, at St. Mary's wearing a skirt as far oh, as gracious, sorry. So, and I don't have the knees for it. I didn't then. I still don't. But um, I'm so grateful for St. Mary's teaching me to love God's word. But I did reach a point where I started to realize that the things the Bible told me Christianity should be like weren't happening. 
I mean, I read the book of Acts and thought, hang on a sec, it's not like that. It's St. Mary's, which for those who don't know, you know, it's 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 a sort of church, you know, lots of people turn up in, you know, Audis and they have retrievers that smile and everyone everyone seems terribly nice. It's lovely. But I read the book of Acts, thought, isn't it meant to be like this? I actually ended up uh, losing my faith. There was one night in St. Mary's Rygate, evening service, I ran out. I just decided the whole thing is nonsense. It's a sham going through the motion. And I went to a very dark season of really questioning God. I always say, you know, I became a terrible atheist because you know, I was continually backsliding and talking to God. And, um, <laughs> and it was so depressing to find out that only I was bad at being a Christian, but I was even worse at being an atheist. <laughs> and then some really extraordinary things happened where I ended up in Hong Kong working with Jackie Pullinger and really rediscovered my faith. And what I found with, with Jackie was the miracles were happening, for sure. I remember talking to a woman who had been blind and had received her sight when she was prayed for. You don't forget a conversation like that. Um, and, you know, I discovered about the power of prophecy and so on, the gifts of the Spirit. But more than that, I found myself surrounded by people who are more like Jesus than me, and I was embarrassed to be me. The old school would call that conviction of sin. But I didn't know, who do you go and talk to about that? You can't go to a doctor. You can't really go to a shrink. So I ended up spending my one day off a week in a tin hut in Kowloon. I wonder if I was having some kind of breakdown, Andy, but I prayed the same prayer hundreds of thousands of times. And it was this, change my heart or take me home. Hundreds of thousands of times, again and again, for hours, change my heart or take me home. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know anyone else who could change the very heart of a, of a man. I think God did something in me. I'm still a bit of a mess, but I think he fundamentally changed my heart and in that time. And so for those who say, oh, well, we, we're into the Bible and not into, you know, women planting churches or miracles or prophecy, I would say... Well, the primary mark of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life in that environment was sanctification and, and a deep saving work in my own life. But yes, out of that, I became very comfortable with not just the scriptures that I love and went on to study at university, but also the gift of the Spirit, uh, which I believe are biblically. I don't believe it's even, I don't think it's a biblical position to dismiss the gifts of the Spirit for the church today. I think that's an unbiblical position because the Bible teaches that we should move in these gifts today and nowhere intimates that one day the canon will be finished and then I'm going to take all that stuff away from you. So um, I'm not a cessationist. I believe in the power and the gifts of the Spirit. And when it comes to hearing God, I believe God speaks, you know, prophetically uh, and supernaturally. But always we weigh those things against his revelation in Scripture. Well, thanks for sharing that, Pete. My next question really is regarding hearing God individually and whether you think you list a number of the ways in which it's yeah. possible to hear from God. You, you mentioned them a bit earlier. Do you think that some people have a kind of typical way that God speaks to them? Or do you think actually all these options 
are open to everyone and it's up to God how he uses it? It's a great question because we assume that the issues around hearing God are to do with theology, but they're actually to do with psychology. The theology is open and shut. God speaks. Genesis 1, John 1. (laughs) God speaks. We have a God who is a communicator. In fact, he creates by speaking. Um, So there's no debate there. The real issue is psychology. How do we hear what God is saying? And that has more to do with our neural pathways, our experiences in life, the way we are wired than it does to do with whether or not God is speaking. And I think many people's problem with hearing God is not that he's not speaking, it's that they are expecting him to speak in ways that are not attuned to their particular psychology. Uh, One of the fun little stories I tell in the book is about a, a primary school in Australia that had the slogan, we hear, we see, we do. And what they were trying to say is, uh, you know, our education is well-rounded. We, we, we learn by hearing, by seeing, by doing. But they were Catholic school, and they decided to, I think, probably sound a bit grander by translating. It's a true story. Translating their motto into Latin. And as a result, there, there was a, a, a Catholic primary school in the, in the outback in Australia that had proudly emblazoned on every sweatshirt, audio, video, disco. That's that's the Latin <laughs> translation we hear, we see, we do. But you see, we are all either audio, video, or disco. Some of us are, we, we learn, you know, teachers will tell you this, by listening. But some of us, we learn by seeing, we're far more visual. And some of us, we're kinesthetic learners, we're doers, particularly little boys, if you look at basic educational psychology. And so... Um, we should expect that the ways we're going to hear God, maybe for some of us it is more auditory, some of us it, it will be more visual, and for some of us we will learn in the act of doing things. And that's not theology, that's psychology. Pete, some sceptics suggest that if God speaks as often as some Christians make out, church leaders will be far more onto what he's doing than they seem to be. Um, so how do you respond to that, particularly you know, post-COVID-19 where most of the prophets didn't didn't see it coming, did they? <laughs> well, <laughs> the first thing I'd say is absolutely correct. Why, you know, church leaders clearly aren't very good at hearing God. I mean, that's part of, part of the reason I've written the book. This nothing matters more. I mean, look at look at Jesus. He only spoke what he heard the Father say. He only did what he saw the Father do, and so. I'm afraid uh, if this is a shock to those skeptics, then so be it. Most church leaders, and I know a lot, and I've been one for a quarter of a century, are more interested in, you know, sort of Excel sheets and branding and, and, and strategies for church growth at times. It's not their hearts, but it's easy to default into management than they are to listening to the disruptive voice of God each day and saying, what shall we do next? And um, the, the, the word of God is often very disruptive. Uh, and, and, you know, look at, look at Philip. He's leading a full-on revival, and then God just transplants him to a desert to witness to a, a, an Ethiopian with a suspiciously high voice. The Lord often <laughs> redirects us in quite extraordinary ways. And so I'm afraid I'm not going to disagree with the question. I'm going to say 
absolutely. The, 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 the thing we need more than anything from our church leaders is that they learn to listen to the voice of God. And I would also say that it's important that we release our church leaders to have enough time to listen to God. Because if we expect them to be working a 50, 60 hour week, basically managing an organization, preparing talks and so on, and we don't give them enough space to really study the Bible, really be still, uh, then don't be surprised if they slightly struggle to be people who hear the voice of God. Pete, you use the, the Emmaus Road story as a kind of theme throughout the book, and you kind of revisit that many times. What drew you particularly to that story of all the stories of hearing God that you could have looked at? The Emmaus Road story not only gave our church its name, but in and of itself, it is a masterclass in, uh, for those of us wanting to learn to listen to the voice of God, because you've got almost all of the ways in which God tends to speak reflected in that exquisite little story. It is a gorgeous story. Um, you've, you, you've got clearly God speaking through the scriptures. We read that Jesus, uh, starting with Moses and the prophets, you know, went through this sort of two and a half hour Bible study. Um, with the couple on the road to Emmaus and showed how it all pointed to him. Uh, you, you, you've got uh, that sense of the still small voice. You know, they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? As he spoke, there's a, there's a sense of that almost prophetic encounter there. You, you, you've got God speaking through normality, which is a big theme in this book. Uh, you know, it's around the meal table. It's on the commuter journey home that, that, that he speaks incognito. Um, so, so many of the ways that God speaks uh, in the book, I, I talk about, I separate the book into two sections, God's word and God's whisper. And I, I, I break God's word down into the logos and the rhema. The logos is the written word of God, and it is the word of God in Christ. So you've got both of those in the road to Emmaus, Christ incarnate, resurrected from the dead, and you've got Christ incarnate doing a Bible study. Um, but also you've got the rhema word of God, the other Greek word for the word of God in the New Testament, and that is God's prophetic, his now word. And what we find is that Jesus is teaching the Bible to them in a way that is prophetic. It is now. It's not just a study on things that have happened in the past or a defense of doctrine as they understood it. But then there's the whisper right through this story. You get these hints and whispers. I think you actually get nudges, smiles, and winks throughout. There's that lovely bit. I mean, right at the start, you've got Jesus saying, hey, what things are you talking about? What's happening? <laughs> As if he doesn't know. And then at the end, I love this, Andy. They reach the house in Emmaus. By the way, it's clearly a married couple. All the artists historically depict it as two men, Caravaggio, Rembrandt, everyone. But that's just subconscious sexism because they have the same house clearly so it's a married couple commuting from the capital city out to somewhere like Reigate or Guildford they get home they invite him in and and but he's he, he pretends he's got somewhere else to go listen he's the resurrected son of God he has all eternity eternity stretching out ahead of him he literally has all the time in the world and his schedule is wide open but he makes out He's got somewhere else to be. And it's only because they invite him in that the, the penny drops. 
which begs the question, did Jesus appear to other people uh, who didn't invite him in and miss the big one? And so there is a call on each of us, of course, not just to invite Christ into our lives and our homes, but to actively daily say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Oh, thanks, Pete. I just need to ask a question for, for preachers listening, because obviously many of them are like you regularly communicating and they're desperate to hear God because they know they need for other people to hear from God via them. Have you yeah. got a, a routine that you typically use? That It's slightly contested who first said this, but I can tell you it's not a, a, original to me. I, I First of all, I'll take the theme that I'm trying to address and I will just write on a piece of paper everything that's in my head already around that theme. Stories, you know, insights, potential scriptures, and so on. I do that. First of all, you write yourself empty. Then you read yourself full. So then I will actually go and I'll get commentaries and I'll do some study because it's arrogant to think that I don't need to learn from others on whatever the theme is. So so then I, I, I write myself empty, I read myself uh, full. And then the next thing is, ha- having created the talk, therefore, and put some structure around that, uh, I will... Uh, I will pray myself hot. Now, this is the, m- most preachers, I want to suggest, stop at the point at which they've written the talk. They think, great, now it's ready to preach. But the next two stages are vital. Pray yourself hot. What that means is get hold of this message you've now got in front of you on paper, on a screen, and pray it. Literally pray it. Pray it into your church. Pray it into your own life. Respond. You'll be amazed how... The, the message becomes dynamic when you pray it and don't just prepare it. And then the final one is set yourself free. Now, this is, this is the difference between good teachers and great preachers. Uh, great preachers have got the same teaching content, but they set themselves free. That means that you have, you've become familiar enough with the message that you don't have to read out every word. In fact, you could probably reduce it now to the back of an envelope and just stand in front of them the way Jesus did. He didn't use notes. You set yourself free. And if the spirit takes you in a slightly different direction, that's wonderful. So in summary, write yourself empty, read yourself full, pray yourself hot, and set yourself free. Fabulous. At the end of the book, Pete, you ask what would happen if the two billion or so believers who claim to be believers around the world said yes to Jesus and were obedient to what he was asking them. So as we close, maybe you could kind of outline that sense of vision for, for people who've heard this, hearing this conversation. How, yeah, could mean, they, how could they incorporate hearing God into that? Most people, if I sat, sat you down and said, when did you first make a decision to follow Jesus and tell me about it? There's been a time in their lives when they were in this space where they said to God, listen, Whatever you say, I'll do it. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And then what happens is we kind of get mortgages and we get terribly sensible and we say, yes, but, and all the rest of it. And something within us dies. And I believe that God is looking for hearts that are fully available to him and and just continually say, you are Lord and man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, that's rhema, by the way, it's not just the scripture, it's the prophetic, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And so uh, if we can each day come back to that place, whether we're leaders in charities, in business, in church, whatever, we can be people who lead well because we are led well by the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, Jesus says, 
and just after he's talked about the famous bit about you know he's born again, he says, those born of the spirit are like the wind. No one knows where it comes from or where it goes. Why is that? It's because we're constantly responding to his leadership and his direction. And so, yeah, at the end of the book, Andy, I, I say, you know, just let's, let's go a bit stupid here. Let's imagine this idea that everyone who calls himself a Christian really would spend the next 24 hours listening to God and doing whatever he said, uh, says, as long as it's in line with the ABC, you know, affirm biblical and Christ-like. Uh, what would that look like? It would probably look like Amazon profits would take a major hit because people would spend less time in consumption. Uh, and, and the stock markets wonder what was going on. It would probably result in the biggest single transfer of funds from the wealthy to the poor that the world has ever seen in a single day. It would probably mean that we'd share our faith more. Let's just say that each of us was directed by the Spirit to share our faith with two people in the next 24 hours. That's not overambitious. Uh, th that means if there's two billion Christians, four billion people, which is half the population of the world, hear the gospel tomorrow. And you say to me, yes, but many people don't know a Christian, so that wouldn't happen. I say, well, that means that actually a lot of people would hear the gospel more than once tomorrow in the bits that do know. So we would see millions, I estimate in the book, eight million people would get saved if we assume a basic attrition rate in a single day. So I go on, wouldn't it be exciting if we became you know when Mary says at the wedding in Cana, she triggers Jesus to do something he wasn't planning to do. I've never noticed this before. She says to when the wine runs out to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And he had, he had already said to her, my time has not come. I, I am not going to make the wedding at Cana where I begin my ministry. But she says to them, say yes to Jesus. And it's as a result of that that the first miracle takes place. So the very plan of Jesus gets changed by this attitude that is yes. And to me, you know, I started in youth ministry, probably back in St. Mary's Abbey, and I don't think I'll ever leave that. Listen, no matter how grand and important we may think we are, if being a Christian means anything at all, it means this, saying yes to the God who knows you best and loves you best. And that means we've got to listen and obey. And I'll finish with this, John 10, 26. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they obey. That's what it's all about. Listen to Jesus and do what he tells you. Well, that's a wonderful place to finish, Pete. Uh, just the details of the book again by Hodder and Stoughton. Hodder and Stoughton. And it's called uh, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And I should have said, Andy, one of the big themes is Lectio Divina. I teach how to pray the Bible, not just how to read the Bible. Uh, but yeah, and then at the end of this year, we've got a course coming out to help individuals and churches, a free online course to listen to God. Uh, we did that with the previous book and it worked jolly well. Uh, three million people have used it, so we're doing it again. We're releasing a course at the end of this year. Fabulous. Well, Pete, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Andy. God bless you. You're listening to The Profile. Thank you so much, Andy Peck and Pete Gregg. 
you'll be hearing another great interview from Andy this time next week right here on the Profile Podcast. And we'll also have our usual programming every Friday afternoon as normal as we move from one interview a week to two. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you could give us a rating and a review wherever you found us. It helps other people to discover the show. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.